The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Our food, air, and water have been weaponized to compromise your health. But what if I told you the biggest weapon being used by those who pull the strings behind the scenes to contain, distort, denigrate, and to make possible their new world order based on totalitarian control is sound vibration? What they seek to obtain is conscious control, that is, control over our conscious mind, and along with it, the destruction of our hopes for a better world freed from the ravages of war, the plagues of disease, and the unnecessary enmity which artificially exists between one man and another. I hope that by the end of tonight's program, you will discover their sinister plans. We must all tune in to a different vibration, one of hope, love, unity, and light. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fambergas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. I always love to hear from you. Tonight's special guest is Elsie Vincent, a writer, musician, photojournalist, and interdimensional explorer. Elsie traveled the globe in search of history, mystery, and adventure, exploring the ruins of the Third Reich throughout Germany, Austria, Italy, and Poland, while concurrently pursuing his passion. He is the author of the book titled The 440 Enigma, The Musical Conspiracy to Separate Mankind from the Divine. And we have a more comprehensive bio right on our website, along with a link to his website. Elsie Vincent joins me directly from Arizona, not too far away from me. Hello, Elsie, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? I'm fine, Mel. It's very good to uh, hear your voice and uh, very good to uh, interact with you. Likewise. And just to give a little bit of a background, it was probably, would you say, over a year ago that I tried to contact you and for some reason my message fell through the cracks and recently you found it and here you are. That's very true. I, I found it because um, uh, I was going through a, a, my Facebook and I I didn't even realize that there was a uh, a link to my book on Facebook that had been done by a friend of mine, unknowns to me. And uh, when I looked it up, there you were. Um, yeah, it was a surprise, but I'm I'm glad we were able to connect. That's wonderful. Now, this is a very very important topic, and I have said this for years. So why don't we start, we always think of mathematics as the universal language, but is music the closest we have to a universal language? And music, of course, is mathematics. Well, music is mathematics, there's no question about it. Um, mathematics is a universal language of the intellect, but music is the universal language of the emotions, and that's why it, you may have to be familiar with numbers, in order to communicate mathematically, but you don't have to have any sort of education to communicate uh, through music. I mean, you you can communicate similar emotions um, to various peoples and various cultures with the same musical format. Uh, 
around the world simply by repetition. In fact, there have been studies done in Africa where they've taken symphonic music and played it to different tribal members just to gauge their emotional responses. And the irony is that their emotional responses were nearly identical to playing it anywhere else in the world. That's why music truly is universal uh, because it universally affects the emotions. It affects how we feel and ultimately how we think because our, our emotional state affects our mental state. Very interesting that for decades, I've always been a music lover all my life. I love classical music. I love heavy metal. White spectrum. I've got that same strange wide spectrum myself. I mean, <laughs> I love I love hard hard metal rock music. I love punk. I love country western. I love passionately love classical music. I love jazz. I mean, there's very little that I don't really enjoy because it goes with our emotions. Some people today they what do we have today in the 21st century? Everybody wants immediate gratification, pleasure, and they want to avoid pain. But we have to accept that those are emotions that live with us. So if you feel down today, there's always music to listen to. If we feel up, then we listen to that kind of music. So music is all over the place when it comes to our emotions. But years ago, I noticed that certain songs would just make me sentimental and it gave me a different kind of emotion. And I found out that some of those songs were purposely recorded in 432 hertz. Apparently, the artist knew about this. I think Prince knew about this and recorded some of his music, even though he didn't advertise it in 432. But how did you become knowledgeable about this? Because it was for me probably about seven or eight years ago when somebody pointed the arrow and said, look into that. How did it begin for you? Well, that's a great question, but before I answer it, I just want to make one little side comment about Prince. When when someone asked Prince about 432 hertz and asked him what he thought about it, he said, 432 hertz is the gold standard. And uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with him more, but as to how I came ab about um, – the discovery of it, it was really, uh, I, I sort of stumbled upon it, but I'll, I'll tell you because I think it's quite an interesting story. Um, my wife and I used to uh, go to the San Francisco Symphony, and uh, this was probably, I guess, 15, 20 years ago, we started going to the San Francisco Symphony um, you know, on a very regular basis. And as we did that, I became more and more uh, involved in in the theory of just music in general. And so I, the uh, San Francisco Symphony ordered a course with the concertmaster of the symphony orchestra. And the concertmaster is the number two man behind the conductor. So this man is uh, very knowledgeable about music. And the course, uh, which lasted a little over three months, uh, we we would meet uh, once a week, and he would start from the very beginnings, the very foundation of classical music, uh, which really started around the 12th century and the Gregorian chants. And as we progressed through the various centuries uh, up into the you know the 20th 21st century, the question began to formulate in my mind: Okay, you have all these musicians. And obviously, in order to play together, they have to have a tuning standard. So the obvious question to me was, how was that standard derived and who who basically made that decision? 
So one day I, I asked the concert master in class, um, how did this happen? You know, how, how was this arrived at? When did it happen? And, and who made the decision? And he, strangely enough, had absolutely no knowledge of it. He just did not know. It was just To him, it was a given. It was always there. But obviously, it wasn't always there. At some point in time, somebody had to decide that the major tuning frequency, which is A above middle C on a piano, had to be a certain number of cycles per second, a certain tuning frequency. So I wanted to know who decided that A equals 440 hertz or 440 cycles per second is the dominant Western tuning frequency in our world. And since he didn't know, I started doing the research. And when I, once I started doing the research um, and using my computer, I, I really stumbled across a whole world I, I had known nothing about. And I, I learned things about frequency and vibration that really were just incredibly uh, exciting and stimulating mentally. Um, I'd, I'd never, never really considered how profound and how important frequency of vibration were to our world and to music in general. But to, uh, to put it as succinctly as possible, uh, vibration is the organizational principle of matter. And because vibration is the organizational principle of matter, the vibrations that impinge upon our consciousness, our mind, as well as our physical body and bodily structures has a profound effect upon our mental, physical, and emotional health and well-being, as well as, as well as our outlook, as well as how we interrelate with one another to one another, both as human beings on a one-to-one -one basis and as nation-states. Because nation states are nothing more than an accumulation of the human beings that ex exist within their boundaries. So I found, I just you know, the more I read, the the, the more I discovered, and I discovered that uh, Nikola Tesla, who is one of my personal heroes, said that uh, you know when you understand frequency and vibration, you understand the secrets of the universe. Right. And uh, couldn't agree with him more because the more I read, um, the more I discovered. And what I discovered was the profound importance of 432 hertz uh, as a tuning frequency. And as I learned about it, I wondered, well, if, if 432, if, if that particular tuning frequency is so important, then why did we come to – impose or how how did the frequency of 440 hertz uh, come about within our western uh, musical uh, orchestral consciousness uh, but just to back up a little bit i just want to uh, provide you with some curious information about the number 432 uh, which you may or may not know but some other people may or may not know it so i think it's really important just to go over it um, the original Stradivarius was designed to be tuned to 432 hertz. The diameter of the moon is 2,160 miles, or 5 times 432. The diameter of the sun is 864,000 miles, or 432,000 times 2. The precession of the zodiac equinox 
is 25,920 years, or 432 times 60. 12 hours equals 43,200 seconds. There are 432 dimples on a golf ball, and 432 essentially is a part of the cosmic sacred number series, and probably the most important part. It is wired into the universe, and it is because we are part of that universe, it's wired into us as human beings. Very interesting. Also, when you were speaking with the orchestra conductor, it just reminded me of my conversations with allopathic doctors. There's a correlation here. You asked about the knowledge of 432 or 440 or how that tuning frequency came about, and he didn't know why, because academia did not tell him. And I tell allopathic doctors, do you know that there's a cure for this or for that? They say, no, that's impossible because I was not taught that in school. So we have to step outside the box. And obviously, there's, there's a powerful force, a hydra, behind our educational system that's pervasive into everything we're talking about here. You know exactly who I'm talking about, right? Oh, I sure do. <laughs> yes, I do. We'll mention more about that, but what is the connection between dopamine, our nervous system, and the different music genres and different tastes? Well, it seems that, you know, everyone has their own particular preference musically. I mean, uh, some people may like a variety of music, but they'll usually have one particular genre that really appeals to them emotionally. And it seems that certain songs produce a, a certain level of increase in dopamine. And the interesting thing about it is that when scientists have studied this increase in dopamine, they found that the human body um, pre precedes or actually creates the dopamine release in anticipation of certain passages of music. So the, the human body knows that this emotional charge is coming and releases dopamine in response to that charge. And then as that certain passage winds down, then the dopamine level goes down again and is ready to expand again once that same passage reappears in music, which is utterly fascinating. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing because music really stimulates our emotional responses and our physical responses. Now let's go back in time, way back in time. What is the relationship between fire, music, and contemplation? Well, fire made civilization possible because fire, um, the actual, the, the taming of fire by primitive man necessitated the ability to consciously contemplate what it took to contain that that awful energy that would burn. But if they, they realized that there was, by creating certain structures, they could essentially tame fire and use it constructively rather than have it destroy either their households or their fields or their crops. So a fire enabled what we would euphemistically call the campfire or the tribal gathering. Uh, they would, primitive mankind would cook their food and relax and contemplate and stare into the hypnotic flames of the fire. And it was this process of contemplation that provided the 
stage, yeah, is, which is the best way I can put it, the, the stage for the, the creation of music. And I would imagine that the creation of music began in the most primitive way, which would be just someone taking some bones and making some noise uh, using a percussion effect. And probably the next thing that they developed was the stretching of animal skins over uh, hollow containers to create a drum. But after that was occurred, you know, after that was actually accomplished, some bright soul, and you'll never know who did it, uh, found out that if you drilled holes in, a, in, a, in an animal bone, you can create different tones and sounds. And all of a sudden, well, I wouldn't say all of a sudden, but over a period of time, they, they learned that they could actually do and create a uh, – a form of communal poetry that was audio inspired and that did not re require that didn't require verbalization but instead required the imagination um, uh, the communal imagination as well as the contemplative communal ability to enjoy it as it progressed and as members contributed but you know all of this the music musical creation and the process of musical creation had a civilizing effect because nothing could be accomplished without the leisure to accomplish it. To have that leisure, you have to have a certain abundance of food. You have to have a certain um, abundance of safety, of not being attacked. And you have to uh, be able to actually relax and have the camaraderie of your companions to create that musical uh, envelope. And that's why music in general was the, the, the spur of the creative process and the, the spur to create ultimately civilization in every form, manner, and shape. That's why it's so incredibly important. And one other aspect of nature that's overlooked by many, but it's right in front of our faces. It's right in front of our, right on, literally, in our hands, if you look at your bones. I'm talking about the golden ratio, the Fibonacci sequence how is this connected to vibration and music excellent question mel um think think it was pythagoras who said that um, music is geometry solidified and there's someone else once said god is a mathematician but um, the golden ratio which uh, basically permeates our universe um is a divine ratio of number series that can be found at, just in everywhere. It can be found in the spiral galaxy and in the way the arms of the spiral galaxy, um, basically the the distance between the arms is a is a golden ratio. If you look in the the spiral uh, connections of a pine cone, you can see the golden ratio expressed. Um, you can see it in Greek architecture, and the Greeks, of course, codified um, the, the musical scale by basically discovering that the golden ratio uh, provided the basis for the seven-note, uh, seven 12-tone musical system, which we use even, even now. Basically, it's the fundamental process by which the creation of the tonal scale has been created. Here's something interesting. The ancient Greeks did not look upon music as a simple form of artistic entertainment. On the contrary, they considered that music reflected and was connected to the most profound cosmic relationship of man and the universe. A 
According to Greek philosophy, a true understanding of music could unlock the secret of nature. Is this similar to what Tesla said? You Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.